Hey folks, coming in hot with a little ad uh, for myself in my upcoming book. If you like this podcast, you are definitely going to like the book I wrote based on it. Unruly Figures, 20 Tales of Rebels, Rule Breakers, and Revolutionaries covers several people that I've never covered on the podcast. From queens of piracy in the Mediterranean to rebellious artists in New York to aboriginal resistance leaders in Tasmania, this book is full of rebellious folks you may have never heard of. It comes out wherever books are sold on March 5th. Pre-order it now. Link is in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the home of storytelling. They make it easier than ever to discover the right content to enrich your life. As a leading destination for audio storytelling, Audible has thousands of titles, including audiobooks, groundbreaking originals, podcasts, and so much more. I love listening to audiobooks on long car trips, which of course I'm constantly on because I live in Los Angeles and it takes 30 minutes to go five miles. Recently, I've been listening to Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, and it is perfect for commuting or driving around the city because it's so funny. I love that it's narrated by Tina Fey. It feels like she's telling me a story on my drive. Right now, you can get one month of Audible for free by using offer code UNRULY. That will get you one free audiobook to enjoy on your next long drive. Go to audibletrial.com backslash unruly to get your free audiobook. And let me know what you pick because I want to know what to listen to next. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash U-N-R-U-L-Y to get your free audiobook. Hey everyone, welcome to Unruly Figures, the podcast that celebrates history's greatest rule breakers. I'm your host, Valerie Clark, and today I'm going to be covering Princess Alfield, a princess who ran away from her arranged marriage to become a pirate. But before we jump into Alfield's life and how she became a notorious Scandinavian pirate in the 6th century, I want to give a huge thank you to all the paying subscribers on Substack who make this podcast possible. Y'all are the best, and this podcast would not still be going without you. Each of these episodes takes me nearly 30 hours of work, which means they've become a full-time job. So if you like this show and you want more of it, please become a paying subscriber for just $6 a month or $60 a year. Contributions help ensure that I will be able to continue doing this work. Becoming a paying subscriber will also give you access to exclusive content, discounts on merch, and behind-the-scenes updates on the upcoming Unruly Figures book. When you're ready to do that, head over to unrulyfigures.substack.com. Now, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, then happy Mean Girls Day. And if not, well, happy whatever day it is for you. So let's hop in. As I mentioned, today I'm covering Princess Alfhild, who was maybe not a mean girl, but definitely ran with a clique of girls who people probably were equally awed by and afraid of. So actually, yeah, maybe she is a mean girl. <laughs> She's also a woman whose story is mired in legend and the facts are largely lost to the fog of time. Her story begins in modern-day southeast Sweden, on an island inhabited by the Germanic tribe called the Geats, sometimes also called the Goths. If you've heard of the Geats before, it might be because Beowulf was the legendary leader of the Geats who fought the monster Grendel and still survives in high school English reading lists. You may also be wondering, are we talking about Vikings? And the answer is yes. Viking is not an ethnicity, but a, well, career, more or less. The term can refer to any Scandinavian seafarer, whether they were pirates or traders. Now, the time period of our story is unclear. Some people suggest as late as the 10th century, though most guess around the 5th century CE because of who wrote the story and the idea that warfare among Gietish tribes in Sweden was particularly violent until about the mid-5th or 6th century. 
We also know that around 530 CE, England stopped importing items from Sweden and immigration from Scandinavia slowed down, which is evidence of like declining power and or declining populations in Sweden around this time. If you're curious about this time period in European history, it's called the Migration Period, though some people also call it the Dark Ages or the Early Middle Ages. It was marked by widespread migration and warfare. The quote-unquote fall of Rome happened around this time too. And Sweden, like almost everywhere else in Western Europe, was feeling the impact of all that conflict. So this story seemingly occurs before things calmed down for the Geats tribe. It begins with a Geatish king named Seward, who had two sons, Wemund or Wemund and Austin, and a daughter named Alfild, or sometimes Awilda. We don't know much about Alfild's childhood because we really don't know much about this time period. It sounds like she lived a relatively comfortable life. She comes down in history to us marked as a princess, so it sounds like she wasn't impoverished or starving. A lot of what we know comes from Swedish writer and clergyman Olus Magnus, who was writing a thousand years later in the 1500s. By his record, Alfild was incredibly beautiful, but also very modest and chaste. She apparently wore a veil at all times so as to not let her beauty become a temptation to other men, which is how we know this account was written by a clergyman. The logic that she hid her beauty to avoid tempting other men into sin is a big Christian idea. Not that it's only a Christian idea, but it's definitely a newer idea that arose with like the Abrahamic religions. Alfilda may have worn a veil at all times, but the Christianization of Sweden didn't happen until the 12th century, so I have my doubts about the like modesty, avoiding sin and temptation reasoning that Magnus gives us. Nevertheless, as she became a teenager, and I mean, I'm guessing here, we don't have a good age for her, but judging by how the rest of the story goes, I'm going to guess 15 at a minimum. So when she's getting to like a marriageable age, her father Seward decided to guard the doors of her bedroom with a viper and a snake, which would scare away unworthy suitors. For the record, yes, a viper is a type of snake. I'm not sure why Olaus Magnus had separated them out, though it sounds like from his account, um, one was venomous and one was a constrictor. Some people also translate this as a lizard and a snake, but artwork from the same time as his account shows two snakes. So Alfield was basically shut up with these creatures, really big princess in a tower energy, right? Seward's idea was that a suitor who could kill the creatures could marry Alfield, but any suitor who did not manage to kill the creatures would be, quote, presently beheaded. According to Saxo Grammaticus, writing about this in the 12th century, the suitor's head would be displayed on a stake. With this possible outcome, it would encourage only the strongest and bravest people to make an attempt. Of course, someone was up for the challenge. His name was Alf, and he was the son of the King of Denmark. He, quote, covered his body with raw and bloody hide, apparently to, quote, make them more frantic against him, them being the snake and the viper. According to Magnus, Alf killed the viper first with a pair of red-hot iron pincers. Then the snake tried to twist around him, which makes me think it was a constrictor, but Alf slew it with a spear. Seward was pleased with this and agreed that if Alfield consented, she and Alf could be married. A lot of people paint this as like a revolutionary concept for the time, but it really wasn't. It was common in Norse culture to make sure both parties consented to a marriage, and women had the right to refuse a suitor without any repercussions. So Alfield and Alf met, and she was apparently charmed by him. According to Magnus, she thought he was handsome and she was ready to marry him. But for some reason, her mother was annoyed by this. She scolded Alfild as being too influenced by his comeliness and taken by the allurement of beauty. 
The only explanation we get for her mother's interference is some concern that Alfield apparently hadn't considered whether or not Alf was a virtuous, like, a virtuous man. Alfield, being probably a teenager and possibly a little hot-headed, took her mother's scolding personally and decided to prove that she was not so easily influenced. Magna said that she, quote, changed her feminine mind and garment into a masculine and ran away from her family and her betrothed. Alfred fled with at least a couple of other young women, and it's unclear where these women appeared from. Were they her maids? Were they other girls in the kingdom who didn't want to get married? Or maybe who wanted to see the world beyond their kingdom? It's hard to say, and in fact, no one does. According to Saxo Grammaticus, the Danish historian, this band of women happened, that's the word he used, happened to come to a spot where a band of rovers were lamenting the death of their captain, who had been lost in war. They made her their rover captain for her beauty, and she did deeds beyond the valor of women. End quote. Now, by deeds beyond the valor of women, what Grammaticus means is piracy. She became a Viking. She wouldn't have called herself a Viking. The earliest recorded use of the word is 1795, but she was one. By some accounts, Alfield had already begun her piracy career by the time she happened upon the men that Grammaticus mentions. This seems more likely to me. The Geats were a seafaring people and she lived on an island, so it makes sense to me that she had access to a ship and at least some knowledge of how to sail one. There's also only so far a girl can run on an island, so of course she took to the sea as part of her running away plan. It also helps uphold the idea that she had an all-female crew for at least a little while. However, this still doesn't explain how Alfield and her crew operated a Viking longboat, which could be 100 feet long and required a crew of 25 at minimum. They may have taken a NAR, a much smaller ship that required only six people to operate because it was primarily for local trading. Assuming that Alfield was fleeing quickly, which is what I've been imagining from these records, a NAR makes more sense to me, at least during her initial escape, than a full longboat. Maybe she traded up as she began to see some success in raiding. Unfortunately, we don't know much about what Alfield and her crew got up to once they got on the water. We can guess that they were probably like other raiders at the time. They pillaged and murdered, seeking goods and food and land. That said, there's not even much we can infer from other tales because the Scandinavian people tended to pass on their histories orally. Tales about Vikings were written down either long after the fact, making the truth of, truth of them hard to judge, or by people who survived their raids who would have been predisposed to present them as bloodthirsty and violent. But evidence suggests that Vikings often integrated into new societies quite easily. In Pirate Women, Laura Sook Duncombe calls them, quote, "...businesslike, necessity-driven people who were a far cry from the blood-stained, vicious men of legend." Many Vikings left home by necessity. Alfield may just be one in a long line of such travelers. Alfield and her crew were successful for quite some time. They were feared along the Baltic and North Sea coasts, and as her fleet grew, they apparently, quote, became such a nuisance that several Danish expeditions were launched to stop her, but none returned. One of these Danish expeditions was, of course, captained by the handsome Prince Alf. Alf, it turns out, had been tracking Alfield this whole time. Some accounts make it seem like he just felt like he had been betrothed and it was like his duty to track her down. Others make it seem like he had actually fallen in love with Alfred and was driven to find her for that reason. But Grammaticus makes it seem like Alf didn't know who he was tracking. Instead, it sounds like he was trying to get revenge by following someone who had raided his lands. But whatever his motivation, Alf finally tracked her down. 
By then, her fleet had grown much larger than his, but he didn't let it intimidate him. According to Grammaticus, Alf's ship caught up to Alfhild in a narrow passage of the Gulf of Finland. Alf leapt off his ship and boarded Alfhild's, quote, slaughtering all that withstood him. His comrade Borgar accidentally knocked Alfhild's helmet off regarding her true identity, and Alf, quote, rejoiced that the woman whom he had sought over land and sea in the face of so many dangers was now beyond all expectation in his power. In a passage that Grammaticus seems to think is romantic, but I find violent and sad, Alf, quote, took hold of her eagerly and made her change her man's apparel for a woman's and afterwards begot on her a daughter, Gurid. End quote. It sounds, I mean, it sounds to me like she was forced to honor the original betrothal after all, and I do mean forced. They went back to Denmark where Alfred became queen and, according to Grammaticus, lived happily ever after. However, Alf and his brother Algur went back to their pirating ways before long, which must have stung Alfeld. There are slightly different versions of this ending, however. In the pirate's own book by Charles Elms, Alfeld is impressed that Alf has managed to track her down. Whatever attraction she had initially felt for him back before her mom talked her out of this marriage came back and they happily got married. Elms writes, quote, His valor had now recommended him to the fair princess, for he persuaded her to accept his hand, married her on board, and then led her to partake of his wealth and share his throne. End quote. Olaus Magnus gives us the old bait and switch. He didn't initially include Alf ever catching up with Alfild. Instead, she became a fierce pirate and never looked back. He wrote, quote, she so preferred virtue before idleness that when she might enjoy kingly dainties, she presently applied herself to the wars, drawn on by her feminine fury. And she began to be so averse to all men by a resolute purpose of chastity that she firmly resolved with herself never to marry any man, but ever as a pirate to equal, if not exceed, men's valor. End quote. After that, he does a few chapters on birds and dragons and military stratagems, and then just before the close of his book, he brings us back to have Alf catch up with Alfild and, quote, dress her in the most gallant woman's habit before marrying her with all the commendable ceremonies of the ancients. Seems Alfild was able to get away for a few years, but ultimately married the man her father had approved for her. I like that she had adventures with her girl gang first, though. Now, here is the important question. Did Alfield really exist? Most people think probably not, though a lot of the other people that show up in her story were real. In looking into this, my first thought was that the names Alf and Alfhild are really close, and so I wondered if maybe this was the following the pattern set by Zhang Yi Sao, maybe Alfhild just means wife of Alf. But it doesn't. Hild apparently means battle in Old Norse, and Alf means elf. Though, I'm not sure that this really proves Alfhild existed. It's almost too perfect that the young girl unready to get married is first named Elven Fighter and then becomes a Viking warrior to avoid that marriage, unless I guess you're a big believer in nominative determinism. Still, I hate to put a damper on a cool story. Alfield herself may have really existed, but her adventure may not have. There are several tales of women going kind of wild in Norse folklore from around this time, and I believe all of them end with the women happily married back at home. So it may just be a morality tale designed to teach a lesson about how women of the time were supposed to behave. But I don't know, I think it's possible. This all-female crew would have been somewhat in the tr tradition of shield maidens. The phrasing sounds exotic, but it just refers to a female warrior in Scandinavian mythology and folklore. 
The evidence for shield maidens has long been seen as controversial. Just Google shield maiden and you'll get results from people claiming these women were all mythical or worse, just male fantasy. But there is a growing body of evidence that these women really existed, including the relatively recent revelation that archaeology's quote, ideal Viking warrior grave was actually a woman's and that she was a tactician planning these battles. In 2019, an examination and subsequent facial reconstruction of another fallen Viking warrior revealed that it was a woman and that she had survived a very serious head wound from a sword before ultimately dying of some other cause. While several excavated graves have revealed women buried with weapons, this seems to be the first one that decisively proves that women engaged in warfare. In her grave, quote, her head rested on a shield, a bridled horse skeleton lay curled at her feet, and her body was boxed in by a sword, spear, battle axe, and arrows. Other examples that don't include damaged bones tend to end with detractors saying that the women were buried with the weapons for symbolic reasons, not possibly because she could have actually fought with them. This argument that women could not have possibly been Viking warriors has always struck me as silly, because women fight in militaries today and we have evidence of women fighting in wars across time. Scandinavian women were equal to their husbands in other areas of life as well, so why not this one? The idea that women didn't fight was propagated by 19th and early 20th century archaeologists who were mapping their own experiences and prejudices onto the graves and artifacts they were finding. The reality of that history is probably much richer. So why not shield maidens? Why not pirate Princess Alfild? That is the story of Princess Alfield. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can let me know your thoughts on Substack, Twitter, and Instagram, where my username is UnrulyFigures. If you have a moment, please give this show a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really does help other folks find the show. This podcast is researched, written, and produced by me, Valerie Clark. My research assistant is Nico Angel Gorgiulo. If you are into supporting independent research, please share this with at least one person you know. Heck, start a group chat. Tell them that they can subscribe wherever they get podcasts, but for ad-free episodes and behind-the-scenes content, come over to unrulyfigures.substack.com. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at hello at unrulyfigurespodcast.com. If you'd like to send us something, you can send it to P.O. Box 27162, Los Angeles, California, 90027. Until next time, stay unruly. Unruly.